Well, let me just say, you will not want to miss tonight. It's going to be great. I want you to be back tonight at 6 o'clock. Bring somebody with you. Our choir and orchestra, they've been working hard. And we are looking forward to a night of worship centered around the Christmas story. So you be back. We look forward to seeing you here along with a truckload of your closest family and friends. Find in your Bibles the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1. I'm in a sermon series I began last Sunday entitled Christmas Playlist. Christmas playlist. There are four songs in the gospel, specifically in the gospel of Luke, surrounding the Christmas story and the birth of the Savior. Last week, we looked at Mary's song, also called the Magnificat, found in Luke chapter 1. And today, again, we're in Luke chapter 1, and we find another song. This is Zacharias' song. Now, maybe in your translation, his name is Zacharias. In other translations, his name is Zacharias, the same guy. He's the, the dad, the father of John the Baptist. And today, from Zacharias' song, we learn this lesson that God keeps his word. That God keeps his word. If you're taking notes, you might want to know the four songs that are found in the Gospel of Luke. First of all, there's Mary's song. That's in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 55. The second song is Zechariah's song, found right here in Luke chapter 1, verse 67 to 79. The third is the angel's song. This is very familiar to us. Luke chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. And then the fourth is Simeon's song, Luke chapter 2, verse 28 to 35. We'll be studying all four of those songs in our sermon series entitled Christmas Playlist. Today, Zechariah's song, God keeps his word. Luke chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 67, and we'll read to verse 79. If you're ready for the reading of the word, say amen. Amen. All right, here we go. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. I think that was about one sentence. So you know Zechariah is a preacher, okay? And you, now talking about his, his child, you child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, <clears throat> to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Remember this morning, the power is in the perfect word of God. Many of you may know the name Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts was a genius. By age four, he was fluent in Latin. By age nine, he was fluent in Greek. By age 11, he was fluent in French, and by age 13, he was fluent in Hebrew. Isaac Watts was famous for his masterful reworking of the Psalms, and he placed those into poetry. Unfortunately for poor Isaac, he was not a looker. Isaac was single his entire life. He had one shot, his one shot at love 
came through a lady named Elizabeth Singer. Elizabeth Singer fell in love with Isaac, sight unseen, through his poetry. She'd never seen the man before, and she was so bold, fell in love with him through his poetry, that she wrote him a letter, and she proposed marriage in that letter. The day came for the two of them to meet. Isaac was excited, Elizabeth was excited, until she met Isaac. She retracted her offer. Apparently, his profile photo didn't match what he looked like in real life. Here's what she said. Only five feet tall with a shallow face, hooked nose, prominent cheekbones, small eyes, and death-like color. I admired the jewel, but not the casket it contained. Don't you feel bad for this guy? Isaac never married, but he spent his entire single life focused on the glory of God. And in 1719, Watts published his poetic work based on Psalm 98 that would go down by many as the greatest Christmas hymn of all time, Joy to the World. You can thank Isaac Watts, that five-foot-tall guy with death-like color, if that is your favorite hymn. Christmas is a time filled with song. There are, there are moments and marked lyrics and tunes that just highlight this season. There are songs that go along with the occasion that announce the birth of the Savior. There are four songs, four original songs, the original Christmas playlist found in the Gospel of Luke. And these songs are packed with power and promise. The Gospel of Luke tells us about a priest named Zechariah. Zechariah was married to a lady named Elizabeth. God had promised Zechariah and Elizabeth that they would have a child in their old age. Zechariah simply did not believe it. Zechariah looked at the angel Gabriel and said, how can this be? I'm a card-carrying member of the AARP. I'm already receiving my social security check. There's no way that I believe that Elizabeth and I will have a child in my old age. You better give me an undeniable sign. And so Gabriel said, Zechariah, here's your sign. Preacher, Zechariah, priest, you won't be able to talk. You won't be able to speak for the entire nine months of your wife's pregnancy. Now think about that for a moment. For nine months, Zechariah did not speak. He could not utter a word. Miraculously, God had closed his mouth. Then... Ultimately, when John is born, Zechariah erupts in song, miraculously. Now, some of you guys may wonder if your wife's pregnant because she hasn't heard a word you've said for nine months or more. Some of you ladies would love it if your husbands kept their mouth shut, especially when you're pregnant. I understand. This was miraculous. The next time Zechariah spoke, this is what he said. Luke chapter 1, verse 67 to 79. The next time he uttered a word, he utters a word of praise, of prophecy, and of promise. The lyrics to his song are remarkable, reminding us as, as God's people that God keeps his word, that God fulfills his promise, that God has come to redeem his people. And here, Zechariah, after nine months of being silent, had a long time to think. And proclaim the goodness and faithfulness of God. Let's talk about Zechariah's song. First of all, notice this. Regarding God keeping his word, he has redeemed his people. 
God has redeemed his people. We see this in verse 67 to 75. A theme of the Messiah coming is the redemption of the people of God. That we've been redeemed and set free. Zechariah uses this word in his song in the beginning. Now think about this for a moment. Socrates taught for 40 years. And his teaching never inspired any song. Plato taught for 50 years, yet no one ever sings songs, songs about Plato. Jesus lived for 33 years, and three of those years he taught on this earth. His teaching, as well as his person, his promise, and his power have inspired the souls of, of Michelangelo, of Raphael, of Leonardo da Vinci. They inspired music from, from Handel and Mendelssohn and Bach. And all of these men who've brought wonderful and amazing things to us have been inspired by Jesus Christ. It is said that Jesus Christ turned Mendelssohn's music from a minor key to a major key. That once he met Jesus, everything changed. This is a picture of what happened to Zechariah. Here he is in unbelief. Here he is in disbelief. There's no way that we will have a child. And God promises you're going to have a son. This son is going to be a prophet. He's going to be a forerunner to the Messiah. I don't believe it. Zechariah is silent for nine months and then begins to proclaim the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Look at what he says. God has redeemed his people. God has kept his word. I, I think it's interesting. The first thing Zechariah does when he can speak is he sings. This is a song. And he remembers the goodness and the faithfulness of God. The word of God comes from him in power. Look at verse 67, 68, and 69. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed, circle that word, redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation. Circle that phrase, a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. We'll talk about what those Two words, that word and those phrases, what they mean. He has visited us. God became man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He has visited and redeemed us. Do you know what the word redeemed means? To redeem means to set free by payment of a price. So Zechariah says that God has come to set us free. He will pay the price to redeem, to, to ransom us. It can refer to the release of a prisoner. It can refer to the liberation of a slave. Jesus Christ came to bring deliverance to the captives. Those that were in the kingdom of darkness can be translated in the kingdom of His marvelous light. Those that are in chains can be set free by the grace of God. Here he says, he's redeemed us. Zechariah promises, proclaims, he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That's not a phrase that we use very much, but you'll find that in the Bible a lot. Horn of salvation, what does that mean? A horn of salvation refers to strength and power, might and victory. You'll see that throughout the Old Testament and the New. It refers to the power and the victory that's offered through the Lord that God in His redemption brings about our rescue, but He also gives us power and might based upon His goodness and His grace. The picture here is of, a, of an army taken captive, but then help arrives and the enemy is defeated. In the previous picture, redemption, the captives are set free. In this picture, the enemy is defeated. That's what God did for us in Jesus Christ. 
Not only did he set us free on the cross and purchase our redemption, but he defeated the enemy, death, hell, the grave, all defeated in Jesus Christ. We can be set free and we can be on the winning side if we follow him in faith. The word salvation is used in verse 69 and verse 71. It carries the meaning of soundness, health. No matter what condition the captive arrives into the kingdom of God, God restores them, rescues them, redeems them, and gives them a hope and a future. That's what God has done for us in Jesus. God has redeemed His people. He kept His word. Dr. E.T. Sullivan said this, The greatest forces in the world are not the earthquakes and the thunderbolts. The greatest forces in the world are babies. Think about that for a moment. This is certainly true of Jesus, isn't it? There's a song that says a baby changes everything. Stephanie and I can attest to that being true five times over. If you have a child, you know it's true. But there's no baby that brought change like Jesus. Jesus changes everything. Oh, as I preach the word of God and as I pastor the people of God, I long to see the light come on and you, like Zechariah, proclaim, God has redeemed me. God has set me free. He has rescued me. He has restored me. He has saved me. And I will rejoice and give him praise. This is what happens when we recognize that God is a God who keeps His word and fulfills His promise. He has redeemed His people. Can you sing the song of the redeemed? Not only does the Bible tell us here that that He's redeemed His people, but He has fulfilled His promise. We see this in verse 76 to verse 79. In Christ, God's promises are fulfilled. Zechariah uses the phrase... The house of David, referring to the Messiah that would come. He's talking about the promise of God in the Old Testament that the Redeemer, the Messiah, would come from the lineage, the line of David, that David would be his ancestor. If you check Ancestry.com for Jesus Christ, you would find that there was royal blood in his veins. Divine blood and royal blood. Interesting. The house of of David. Where, where did the Redeemer come from? The house of David. David himself was the, the great conqueror, the greatest earthly king of Israel. God had promised the Savior would be a Jew. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. That he would be from the tribe of Judah. Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10. From the family of David, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Born in the city of Bethlehem, David's city, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Both Mary and Joseph belonged to David's line. And the coming of the Redeemer was inherent in the covenant to God's people. God had promised promised he would come in this way, and God kept his promise. God fulfilled his word. And think about Matthew chapter 3 and verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. God keeps his word. God fulfills his promise. Notice verse 76, our prayers are answered. Think about this for a moment. If you're Zechariah, if you're Elizabeth, if you're Mary, if you're Joseph, For 400 years, there had been no prophetic word. 
from Malachi to Matthew, and your Bibles might be one or two pages. But those are 400 years of history where the people of God waited in silence. 400 years of wondering, hoping, praying, wishing that a Redeemer would come. 400 years of longing to see redemption. And then one day, an angel speaks to a young girl named Mary. An angel speaks to a young man named Joseph. An angel speaks to Zechariah to Elizabeth. And Zechariah and Elizabeth's boy John would be the forerunner, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He was the promised one that would come to lead the way to the Messiah. He would be a prophet of the Most High. He would go before the Lord and prepare his way. This is John the Baptist. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. God had promised. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Who is God prophesying in the book of Malachi that will come? John the Baptist, who's the forerunner to the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting. Our prayers are answered as Zechariah looks at this little baby boy that belongs to him and his wife Elizabeth, and now he can finally speak once again. He reminds us that God answers prayer. It might not be in our timing, and it not, might not be on our calendar, and it might not be in the way we expect or even the way we desire, but that God answers prayer according to His will and His purpose for His glory. Not only are our prayers answered, but our sins are forgiven. We see this in verse 77. John's mission was to prepare the people for the Messiah. John the Baptist would go before the Messiah. He would preach and proclaim. He would preach salvation to his people and forgiveness of their sins. Do you see that? To give knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of their sins. In his uncompromising message, John the Baptist would always say, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word forgiveness here means to send away, to dismiss a debt. All of us are in debt to God. All of us have broken His law and His commandments. All of us are under the weight of the debt of sin unless we've been rescued and redeemed and brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. All of us are spiritually bankrupt, unable to pay our own debt. That's the beauty of the Messiah. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ, that He paid the debt that we owed, and He did not owe a debt at all. And He loved us enough to purchase our redemption. Our prayers are answered. Our sins are forgiven. Our lives are transformed. We see this in verse 78 and verse 79. In this section of Scripture, here toward the end of Zechariah's song, you see Israel portrayed like a vast caravan in the wilderness upon whom the darkness of night has set. And so imagine for a moment you're, you're in this vast caravan in the middle of the wilderness and it is pitch black night. 
He's using a metaphor to illustrate how the people of God have been in darkness, but now the light is coming. Imagine for a moment, I can imagine with my wife and my children by my side in this great vast caravan in the wilderness of people and darkness sets in and there's wondering and there's worrying and there's wishing and hoping that light would come. But in the darkness we grope around, we don't know where to go. And then, just as all hope seems lost, On the eastern horizon, the darkness of night turns a little more like navy blue. And then it seems as if, as the sun rises, once again that hope is restored and our lives are renewed and joy is fulfilled, that the God who promised light would come has come and shed light abroad in our hearts. This is exactly the picture of God's people, the nation of Israel, wandering in darkness. This is what Isaiah said. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Look at what he says in verse 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, listen to this, whereby the sunrise shall visit us. Circle that word sunrise. The sunrise shall visit us from on high. Look at the next verse. To give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. When we were in darkness, we didn't know the steps that we need to take. But now that we have light, He will guide our feet. Interesting. The word sunrise here translates an old English word, dayspring. Have you ever heard of that? The dayspring. The day springing up. Today's version gives variously as the the light of heaven, the morning sun, here the sunrise. He's not just talking about that great big ball of fire in the sky. He's talking about the sun of righteousness that rises with healing in his wings. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ that brings light into our darkest of days and our darkest moments. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in His wings. 2 Peter 1.19. Jesus is the morning star who rises in our hearts. He's the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Revelation chapter 22. Jesus says of Himself, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Those who've walked in darkness have seen a great light and He is the light of the world. So when Jesus rises in our life, look at this now. The shadow of death disappears. Do you see that phrase there in the middle of verse 79? To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Here are people separated from God, sitting in darkness, living under the shadow of death. And when light comes, the darkness and the shadows disappear. He brings light. He comes to guide our feet in the way of truth. This is more than any ordinary light. Because... The light of Christ drives out every shadow of darkness in your life. 
Those who experience the healing wholeness of God's peace. Do you know in one place it says of the birth of Jesus Christ that those who experience will will be so joyful they will leap like calves released from their stall. Think about that for a moment. Now you say, I don't even know what that looks like. Imagine a young calf that's been pent up in in the stall and when you open and fling the door wide open, man, they leap for joy. That those of us who've been in bondage, when the, when the doors of forgiveness swing wide open, we rejoice in the light that we have found. It's interesting. Has the sunrise from on a high filled your life? Are you assured of the forgiveness of sin? Have you been delivered from the shadow of death? Are you guided in the pathway of peace? If not, do you know what you need? You need a sunrise in your life. You may feel like the darkness surrounds you and you don't know which way to go. You need the Son of Righteousness to rise. You need to know Jesus Christ. Here it is. An old priest who hadn't said anything for months, but he certainly compensates for his silence when he can finally speak again. When he sings his praise to the Lord. God calls us today to believe His good news. And those who believe His good news can rejoice. They can say, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Like Mary prayed, not not God, your Savior, not God, the Savior, but my Savior. Song of an old man who held his miracle child in his arms and then begins to contemplate the seismic shift of what is about to happen in the world. That which was taking place in his lifetime. Nothing had ever happened like this before. So Zechariah had to sing to proclaim the goodness of God. But don't miss the point of Zechariah's song that God has visited us in the person of Jesus Christ. And that today, that same divine visitor comes and knocks on the door of your heart. Can you hear the sound of his presence? Do you have his light in your life? Will you, like old Zechariah, drop everything and welcome him in? Or are you too busy to be bothered by Jesus. Do you love the darkness so much that you no longer long for the light? The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light and the sunrise has come and it has translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His great light. I want you to know this morning God keeps His word. Every promise that he made either has been or will one day be fulfilled. And even though there are moments where we feel like he is silent, and there are moments when we feel like we walk in darkness, according to his timetable and his purpose, in the right time he speaks. And when he speaks, light comes.